know, I don't know why people do bad things. Sometimes it's because they're not raised right. Sometimes they feel like uh, something in life did them dirty and they need to get revenge. But there's also a lot of good in this world too. So who really knows? Because that's how they were raised, that they see other people doing it, they follow the wrong crowd, they don't follow the right crowd, they don't understand the right crowd, yeah. Uh, I just think that they're just born like that, they're raised in a community where they just thought it was normal, I guess, so they just keep going, because that's how they were raised. The sinful nature, it's the fall, it's how it happens. Free will. They, the devil works on them, they get a bad idea in their mind, and they go through with it instead of doing what with Jesus. Because nobody's perfect, but people just do stuff, make bad choices. Human nature. All right. Well, it is good for us to be together here in worship this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here, and it's good to have you here both in the West as well as in the East Auditorium this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn in there to Romans chapter 7. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you'll find one in the pew rack in front of you or uh, in the East Auditorium, some folks walking around with some that you can use. And as you flip there, um, have you ever heard the expression, quote, you can't get there from here? You can't get there from here. Like, have you ever been maybe driving someplace, you stop to ask for directions, and you say, okay, how do I get there? And they say, well, actually, you can't get there from here. I'm not sure I can think of a more unclear response in the pursuit of clear directions. You can't get there from here. It's, um, my understanding is it comes from uh, certain areas in the country where literally because of dead ends and one-way streets, you, you physically can't get there from here. Uh, like I think in the New England area, it's a pretty popular understanding. And in fact, I think that's where the saying comes from, that there's certain ways that where you're at, you have to literally backtrack and go around a long distance to get to a place that seems much closer. In fact, there was a gentleman who was a cartographer professional map maker, essentially, who lived in the Boston area and after one year living there decided to map out some of these actual you can't get theirs from here's. And so here's a few examples here. You can see that the, uh, the red square is the destination and the green arrow is where you want to go. And like, like that bottom left one, it's like you could throw a rock there quicker than you could get there with your vehicle. And so you can't get there from here um, is a principle that's in play in those kinds of driving situations. Well, the same principle is true for us today in our, you could say, our tell me more question that we're going to be looking at, where we've been looking at uh, last week and for the next several weeks, difficult and tough questions that we face in life and in faith, regardless of whether you've grown up in church your whole life or like today's your first time ever. Uh, these are questions we all wrestle with and wonder about. And uh, frankly, if um, when it comes to the question of why do people do bad things, that's our question of the day, why do people do bad things, we can't take that question head on. Uh, it really is a reality of if we take it head on, you just simplify the, the response with a simple answer, uh, then you know, honestly, it probably didn't deserve to be in the sermon series. It'd be too easy. And so you can't get there from here. We have to take a little bit of the scenic route. But to get us started in the question, why do people do bad things? Maybe to unpack what we mean by that, we might start with, okay, what kind of bad things are we talking about? What qualifies as bad? 
Well, we would probably quickly agree as we look at the world around us and, and some of the evil that's out there. We look at, you know, modern day slavery and sex trafficking and acts of terrorism and, you know, just the, just the word, you know, terror, mass terror, just, it just, it's just bad all the way around. And so we see this in our world and we wonder, you know, why are these terrible things happening? But we also realize with the question, why do people do bad things? That it's not just people somewhere out there that if we're honest, we too have our own propensities to do bad things. Uh, you know, like why do I, uh, you might ask yourself, why do I erupt in unrecognizable anger and rage at my kids or my spouse? You know, why do I do this bad thing? Or why do I continually find myself in situations where I'm, you know, gossiping or slandering other people in some weird way, twisted, trying to make myself feel better about my own insecurities, about how I talk about other people? Uh, why do I find myself, you know, continuing to lie about this particular fill-in-the-blank, whatever the case may be? And so these are the kinds of things we recognize that's the bad within us. But if we wanted to go beyond that, you know, as I looked at this question for us this week, I think, I think we have bigger questions than just why do people or why do I struggle with doing bad things? But if we could zoom out even further, we're going to kind of expand on this question because I think the question we have before us is like, why is there bad stuff in the world at all? I mean, most recently, we recognize natural disasters, you know, this hurricane after hurricane. And, you know, why do we have these awful things going on in, you know, you could say mother nature, for lack of a better term. And then even take it one step further, not just why do people do bad things and why is there bad stuff happening in the world. One other question I think we all wrestle with is why, as a result of these bad things, do we in humanity have to experience the pain? the struggle, the suffering that comes as a result of the bad things in our world. And so while the question for the series might start off, why do people do bad things, we recognize that as we zoom out, there's more to that uh, that we want to have answered about why there's evil and bad and pain and suffering and struggle in the world. And so to all these questions, we share one same question together, the same three-letter question, why? We all want to know why. Why bad things? Well, in an effort to honor, you know, what these yard signs promoted all over the town, uh, I want to tell you more about why it is that we experience evil, pain, suffering, or just simply bad things in the world or bad things that we do or bad things that other people do. Okay? First, sometimes we experience bad things or suffering as a result of our own bad decisions. For example, if you steal, you go to jail. If you have unhealthy dietary habits, you could end up with heart disease. If you commit adultery, you could lose your marriage. And so sometimes we suffer as a result of our own bad things, our own poor decisions. Sometimes we experience bad things as a result of other people's bad things that they do, the other people's decisions. You know, if you're, for example, beat up and mugged in a street, you will suffer because of someone else's decision. Um, your children may rebel, your spouse may be unfaithful, you will struggle and suffer as a result of other people's decisions. Okay, so beyond that, thirdly, sometimes we suffer and we struggle and we experience bad things because of the result of satanic attacks. That just as God is real, so is Satan. In fact, 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way. It says, your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion with the goal of looking for someone to devour. 
So sometimes that's why we struggle with bad things. And then lastly, really, fourthly, the bottom line, if you, if you had to pick one answer as to the, the why we struggle with bad things and why people do bad things, it really all starts at the beginning of your Bible in the book of Genesis where we see Adam and Eve, our very first great, 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 great grandparents, if you will, with the first sin ever. They believed a lie that Satan told them and they bought into essentially that their way their ways, their approach to life was better than what God had promised them is his way was the best. And so since that sin, since they uh, disobeyed God, sin and humanity has experienced the brokenness of that. And so sin, brokenness, evil, and struggle have ever since been a part of both the humanity's experience as well as even the earth itself. It says in Romans 8.22 that we know that the whole creation since the fall, the whole creation, it, it has been, it says, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And so, to the answer, why bad things at all? This is, these are the answers. This is why we have evil, pain, struggle, and bad things. And so there, we've answered it. Do you feel better? You know, sometimes the most theologically sound responses still leave us feeling unsatisfied when it comes particularly to the complete answer as to, okay, why evil, why pain, why struggle, why bad things? And particularly if you're the one who's going through the experience of those bad things. And so if I could just kind of you know, maybe put like the official sermon aside for a second and just say, okay, so yeah, that's the answer. That's the, that's the true, it's true nonetheless. But if we're honest with ourselves and maybe honest with God, we have probably one more question. And that is, you could say, at least I would express it as a bigger why, like, yeah, God, I understand. I've heard these responses before. Maybe it's the first time and I know they're true, but God, the, the bigger question is, you know, why? Like a bigger why. Like if I could draw a big circle around all of those and say, okay, why, God, did you allow at all this into the human existence? Why did you allow sin? Why did you allow evil? Why did you allow Satan to do it? Why did you, in all your sovereignty, did you allow bad things into the human experience at all? Like why? And do you know what I discovered? that in all my study, that in all my asking, that in all my searching, I discovered, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. And this side of heaven, we might not, probably will not fully know an answer that is full and complete and satisfying to the answer as to why bad things. To which you kind of smile because you're like, seriously? We... You're going to tell me more, and you're, all you're going to tell me is, I don't know. Like, that's, that's all you've got. You're going to, you're, you know, because it's, it's not enough. Well, let me emphasize again that the whole you can't get there from here principle applies when it comes to this very difficult question of why bad things. Because we know collectively, no simplistic soundbite will satisfy, no simple answer will do to the big question of why evil, why people do bad things, and why we suffer pain and struggle as a result of all that. And so, in response to that question, let me offer you three responses, actually in the form of three more questions, to help us discover what I believe will be a full and more practical response to this question of why bad things. And so to you, I propose three responses. First, 
what if, what if, when it comes to this question, what if why isn't the best question? What if when it comes to why bad things and why evil and why struggle, what if why isn't actually our best question? Then furthermore, secondly, what if what for is the better question? And then thirdly, what if, after all that, why am I here? Why am I on the planet? Why do I exist? What if that is the best question? Okay? And so we're going to work our way through these as, again, a, a bigger response, um, a you-can't-get-there-from-here type response to the big problem, the big question of pain, struggle, bad things. Okay? So the first one, what if, why, actually isn't the best question when it comes these bad things. Isaiah 55, uh, a passage often looked to in response to really seemingly unanswerable questions, says this. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, in some ways, this would suggest that why isn't always the best question because we see here God is saying, I'm not Radio Shack. Do you remember that old slogan, Radio Shack? You've got questions, we've got... Okay, it's not too far removed. Yeah, God is not Radio Shack. He is, now, he's the God of a lot of attributes. He is the God of love. He is the God of grace. He is the God of mercy. He is the God of sovereignty. He's the God of providence who provides for our needs. But he is not the God at the end of the day of having every one of our questions answered. Now, this too is a very unsatisfying response. Uh, it even sounds a little harsh. We may even disagree with it. It, it grates against us this idea that if you know, we're supposed to be able to hear more and we want God to tell us more about what this is, that, that it, it, just feels us un, it just leaves us feeling unsatisfied. Well, if I can, let me shed a little bit of light as to why we feel this way, uh, as to why we, we react against this idea that we won't get our questions all answered. Um, I'm going to take you back a couple hundred years, and if you uh, went through, like, you know, freshman college humanities, this might ring a bell a little bit, but during the 17th and 18th century, there was a, the, the domineering philosophy that came to light during that age, it was called the Age of Enlightenment. That might ring some bells. The Age of Enlightenment. It was the 17th and 18th century Western philosophy that taught this. That reason and logic were the ultimate source, are the ultimate source for legitimacy and authority. That reason and logic are the ultimate source for legitimacy and authority. And so did you catch that? What is the ultimate source for legitimacy and authority? Wait, no, God? Is it? No, not God. Reason and logic. And so therefore, instead of submitting our reason, submitting our logic, our limited understanding to the authority of God, we all, as you could say great-great-grandchildren of our grandparents of the Enlightenment, we have ingrained within our social psychological development that instead of us being subject to God, God, where he doesn't fit into our logical framework, we dismiss him. 
In other words, you put it this way, like, you know, God, if you can't answer all of my questions to the point where I am fully satisfied emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and in a logical way, well, then you have no legitimacy or authority in my life. And so as we think about what has authority and what has legitimacy in our lives, we have to ask ourselves a tough question. Is logic and reason my, my God? Or is God my God? Isaiah 55, the Lord cautions us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The reality is, and and this is probably one of my favorite illustrations when it comes to helping me understand uh, how we reconcile all this. Uh, that we can relate the problem of, of bad things, we'll just put it in the big category, bad things, uh, to that of, you could say, like a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. And if you ever put one of those puzzles together and you have, get to the end and you have, a, like, three pieces missing, and it's just like, you want to, like, throw the thing. It's, yeah, it, it, it's, when we try to answer all of our questions about evil, pain, and suffering, it's like having a thousand-piece puzzle with, like, three of the pieces missing. And we focus all our attention on that and you try to make it work and you end up distorting the whole image. So instead of focusing on the missing, three missing pieces out of the thousand, which as grandchildren of the enlightenment would demand we have answers, instead, let us focus our energy on the pieces that we do have. That in God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his providence, in his word, and as we experience this in life, he does give us when it comes to being able to navigate the difficult question of why bad things, okay? So we're gonna focus on the pieces that we do have as we move through these other two responses. So what if why isn't the best question? What if focusing on the missing pieces isn't the best question and focusing on what we do have is a better question? So that's our second one. What if we were to say, what for when it comes to bad things? What for, what if that was the better question? What, in other words, you know, what purpose is what we're looking for. What is the purpose that we can find in the issue of bad things? And most specifically, uh, I'll bring it back to the bad things that we do. What purpose can we find within the bad things that we find ourselves inclined to do? Well, the answer is to discover your need for a savior. To discover your need for a savior. And to kind of get there, to illustrate, this um, past week, I just want you to know, in case you're wondering, I have not been sick. This whole past, were you wondering? I think Jonathan was. He was wondering if I was sick. This whole past week, I have not been sick. Now, my wife disagrees with that. Um, as about a week ago, I did start experiencing some watery eyes and some itchy nose and runny nose and stuff like that. And I went in to give my wife a kiss and she said, ew, no, you're sick. To which I said, I'm not sick. It's just allergies, Right? itchy eyes, water. that's just allergies. Well, the next day, our youngest daughter came down the stairs that morning with the same symptoms. You know, itchy eyes, watery nose, the whole bit, and a fever, a fever. Later that morning, I went for a kiss. Oh, no, gross, you're sick, get away. I'm not sick, I didn't have a fever. I just had watery eyes, itchy nose, I'm not sick, nothing to worry about. 
And then I will admit, over the course of this past week, I did start to feel a little bit more run down, a little bit more drained. And the other night, I, I go in for a kiss. Ew, no, gross, you're sick. I'm not sick, it's just allergies. No, look at this article I found on Facebook. And she holds up her phone, and the headline reads, if you can, can't read it from where you're at, virus going around with symptoms that mimic allergies. I lose. I lose. And so the truth is, over the past week, I really haven't. I haven't admitted. I haven't been giving attention to, you could say, getting well, you know, fluids, rest, medicine, whatever. Uh, because I haven't admitted, I haven't acknowledged, or won't accept that I'm actually sick. Likewise, you will never understand you will never get or comprehend your need for a savior. You will never understand the need for a forgiver until you're able to accept that you, in fact, have bad things. You have sin, your diagnosis of sin in your life. Looking at our own lives, the place we have to start when it comes to the bad things that we do, we have to acknowledge, yes, there are bad things that I have done and will probably do, and that is called sin. The diagnosis of sin and the consequence of left untreated is death eternally, which we looked at last week. And thus, we need to start by getting honest with our diagnosis of sin, our own propensity to do bad things uh, in order to understand our need for a savior. I love the way that the Apostle Paul expresses this on our behalf. And this is the Apostle Paul. You know, if the word apostle before your name, you're probably a pretty legit, you know, God follower. He wrote like half the New Testament. These things are good resume builders for following Jesus, I'm thinking. But here is what the Apostle Paul says of himself, half the writer of the New Testament, about the propensity to do bad things. This is our passage. We're going all over the place in the Bible. But this is, if I had to anchor us to one, here's what we're going to look at. Romans 7, follow with me, starting in verse 15. Paul says it this way. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Ah! Can you, oh, that's enough. We've read enough. I mean, can you just feel the frustration and the angst coming out of Paul's pen onto those words? He goes on for a few more verses with that same tirade of this back and forth of this inner struggle. But he rescues, kind of shows us the rescue here, really the cry of, okay, why do I do these bad things? Why do people do bad things? He answers it, verse 24. He starts to go, okay, what a wretched man I am. So jump down to verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to to death. In verse 24, catch this, Paul is asking that second question. He is asking the better question. He's saying essentially, okay God, what redeemable quality could there possibly be uh, in the bad things of my life? And the answer is, in and of himself, there is no redeemable quality. But within Christ, there is. See the next verse, 25. He resolves it. Oh yes, thanks be to God 
who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, with all that aside, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, the God living inside of us, gives life. Who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so when we acknowledge and we confess, yes, I am sick. Yes, I struggle with doing bad things. Yes, I have sin in my life. I have missed the mark. That's what sin literally means, to miss the perfect mark that God has laid out for us in his perfect plan. We miss that mark and we recognize that we alone are powerless to provide the cure. We are powerless to right those wrongs. It is then that we realize the better question and its answer. Our need then for a forgiver and a savior from that sin and the consequences of sin. And so the better question than why is what for? And we discover our need for a savior with this good news, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he has set you free through Jesus Christ by the law of the spirit who gives life and sets you free from the law of sin and death. And so. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what the word literally means. That's the good news that we are forgiven, that we are saved from the penalty of our sin in Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's our first two questions. Okay, so let's say I recognize, okay, why might not be the best question and what for is a better question. And so as a result of the what for, I receive Jesus Christ as the forgiver of my sin and the savior of my life eternally. Now what? I mean, do we just sit around and wait for that ticket to heaven? I mean, I'm saved from my sin, so here we go. What, what then do we do with the rest of our life moving forward, assuming we've received Jesus Christ as the forgiver and savior of our life? And that brings us to the third question. What if, why am I here is the best question? Why am I on the planet? Why do I exist? What if that is the best question? John 10.10 10 says it this way. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So the answer to the question, why am I here, why am I on the planet? It is life to the full. And here's what life to the full looks like. In Christ, to live life to the full is to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and the leader of your life. That is life and life to the full. Now, the critical thinker among you um, is thinking right now, what I would be thinking is like, time out. How did you get from evil, bad things, awfulness to life and life to the full? It kind of feels a little bit like a bait and switch. Like how do we connect these two dots? Well, James, the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James in, in the scripture, he helps us with this paradox, this kind of bait and switch that we're starting to feel a little bit. Read or follow with me on the screen. James chapter one, he says it this way. He says, consider it pure joy. So let's say pure joy, that's life and life to the full. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that this is the testing of your faith and it produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, time out, I'm sorry, but when I think of life and life to the full, my first response is not bring on the trials, bring on the pain, bring on the struggle. But here we see 
the answer to the question in James saying, okay, while trials, struggles, and bad things, how does this equal life and life to the full? Well, here's the problem. It's the way in which we understand our typical response to the question, why am I here? That if, you could say to the best question, still saying it's the best question, why am I here, why am I on the planet, still the best question. The challenge is often the way in which we answer that question. For example, I think if I were to ask, you know, just the average person, hey, why do you think you're here? Why do you think you're on the planet? What do you think God wants for you? You would get, some, you know, if you were to do a man on the street like we did with the video here, uh, I think you would get some response that surrenders around some sort of like, I would say God wants me and my family, he wants me to be basically happy and healthy. That, that's probably along the lines of something we hear. Um, so I would ask you, do you think that's why we're on the planet? Do you think we're here to be basically healthy and happy? It sounds like a trick question. It's like, I'm not going to answer that one out loud. Uh, on the flip side, let's put it this way. Do you think that God put you on the planet to be miserable and unhappy? Well, no, that doesn't really add up either. And so, again, the problem is not the question, why are we on the planet? The problem is the continuum on which we are trying to answer it. Happiness versus unhappiness. You see, neither is the point. Neither is the reason. Neither is the ultimate purpose that you are on the planet. The reason we're on the planet, we see in verse 4, James 1 again, that you might be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And the context of that is in regards to your following of Jesus Christ. That's, our, that's why we understand our church exists, to become more devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is the reason we're on the planet. The reason, the why, is that we would actually functionally grow more and more in our faith in God rather than the things of this world. That our trust and our worship would be in our creator over everything else to him. And so God's word, as we read here, and really, frankly, I think as you start to think about your life, the testimony, if you've walked with Jesus through some thick and thin moments in your own life, we can testify. That's true. The bad things, the struggle, the suffering, and life and life to the full, they are not mutually exclusive. And in fact, if I look at my own life, I realize that it actually has been through those valleys, those seasons of pain, of struggle and trial, that when I went to God, God most grew my life in him, that most grew my faith in him. To illustrate how this um, plays out, um, you know, leprosy. Leprosy, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a disease that we see all throughout scripture. It was not very well understood in those times as far as kind of medically. And even uh, up until very recently, it was understood that leprosy was a disease that would cause the skin uh, to literally just begin to like rot and, and just decay and just, you know, fall off. Uh, but what um, actually Dr. Paul Brand, a missionary surgeon who worked among lepers uh, much of his life, he discovered that leprosy, it actually doesn't cause skin or flesh to rot. What leprosy actually does is it actually causes the nerves within your skin and your flesh and your bones and your blood and your body, it causes the nerves to cease to exist. He said what he witnessed, he would see lepers, he would see them literally slam their hands in car doors and feel nothing. He would see them cut their fingers half off. They would roll their ankles, literally tearing the ligaments and the muscle off, of the, off the bone and they would feel no pain. And thus, because they felt nothing, they would literally destroy themselves because of the lack of feeling and 
you know, centuries going to the brain to say, hey, you know, that boiling water is not a good place for your hand. You should take it out. Uh, and so he said this. He said, in light of this, actually thank God for the gift of pain. Of the way that C.S. Lewis put it in his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, in the same way, he says, just as physical pain is an early warning system to the brain, he says, pain in our life is a warning system to the soul. Thus, in every way, that through trials, through struggle, through bad things, we have that opportunity, that opportunity every time to, as James 1 says, actually grow in our faith, to persevere in our faith, and let perseverance finish its work that we might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so the irony is, arguably, the worst thing that could happen to you in your life is that you would skate through life pain-free, that you would never have a trial, that you'd never have a struggle, because then, why would you possibly then need God? The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, in response to, okay, I know you went through some struggle, I know you went through some pain, he, uh, he says this to them as on the other side of that. He says, verse 9, this is in the message paraphrase, or this is a really good way of understanding it. He says, now I'm glad. Not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from him. The result was all gain, no loss. Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets, and they end up on a deathbed of regrets. And now, isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress has drawn you closer to God? You're more alive. You're more concerned. You're more sensitive. You're more reverent. You're more human. You're more passionate. You're more responsible. Looked at from every angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart. And so as we look at these questions, and as you look at the big question, you know, why bad? Why pain? Why suffering? Um, we see that it is the same what for, and it is the same why we are on the planet that we are to be seeking in the midst of it every time that you might experience more the reality of the fullness of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And so be encouraged that the way that this looks as, okay, great, Jesus is going to give me life and life to the full in the midst of trials. What does that even mean? Be reminded of who our God is even in the midst of pain. Psalm 34, 18, in the midst of bad things, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Hebrews 13, 5, God promises, even in the midst of it, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And we know this will come. Jesus even said, in this world you will have trouble, and that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But take heart at the overall context of those statements, even from Jesus Christ. John 16, 33, again, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world in John 10, 10, again, we've been looking at it the whole time. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And then one more. This is my favorite of all. Isaiah 55. Remember the one we looked at a little bit earlier when it comes to, hey, you've got tough questions? Well, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are, are basically my ways better than your thoughts. 
we'll catch the context of that verse. Scale back a few verses, starting in verse 1 of Isaiah 55. This is the full context of that passage. And I just, kinda, I just discovered this recently. God says, come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. You know, recognize your sickness. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. For he will freely pardon. He will freely forgive. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I love this because what this means, the context of that, I kind of misused it at the beginning. God is not saying, oh, you've got questions? Good luck with that. I know better. He's not saying that. He's saying, no, no, no. Are you thirsty? Are you, are you call on the Lord? Who, call on him while he's near. Forsake wickedness. Recognize, you know, the sin sickness in, in your life. Turn from it. You will find mercy. You will find pardon. And because thanks be to God, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He's saying, my mercy, my forgiveness, my grace is so above and beyond the ways of our thinking here on earth. His thoughts are higher than our earthly ways as they're far superior than the way that we do bad things down here. His grace is greater. His mercy is bigger. His understanding is that of grace, not of an I told you so. That's who our God is, even in the midst of difficult questions about pain and struggle, whether it's been done to us as a result of things we've done or just a part of the fallen world we live in. The full why will never fully understand this side of heaven, but always catch that in the midst of pain, struggle, and bad things and sin in your life, what for and find why am I on the planet and you will find every time your need for a savior and the opportunity to follow more closely as Lord. And so let me pray for us in this. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that through it all, as we're going to sing here in a moment, that through it all, the truth, the promise of your word, Psalm 34, that you are close to us when we are brokenhearted, who through it all, Hebrews 13, will never leave us nor forsake us, who through it all, John 16, 33, gives us peace, and John 10, 10, your word, your promise that through it all, you give us life and life to the full. And we need that by the power of your Holy Spirit, not in our own strength. And thus we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you are serving communion today, either in this room or in the East, we'd invite you to go and prepare for that now. We thank you for doing that. And uh, as we talk about communion, don't shift gears too much because really this is, this is the conclusion of the message. This is the conclusion of the question, why bad things and what do we do with that question? And to get us there, um, there's a song we're going to sing here in a moment. That we're just talking about talking how God is with us through it all. But the original version of this song uh, by the writer Horatio Spafford, uh, it actually, this writing came out of a season of some pretty bad things going on in his life. It's a great old hymn of the church. The lyrics are this. Uh, whether you, maybe you haven't grown up in church, you might still be familiar with it. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever's going on, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And so, I know we've talked about this story before here, but it's been a while, and so I want to remind you or maybe tell you for the first time, the story behind those lyrics uh, came, comes out, of, again, his name is Horatio Spafford. He lived up in the Chicago area in the late 19th century. 
and he was uh, good friends with the evangelist D.L. Moody, who was up in that space. And he, D.L. Moody was on an evangelism tour actually over in England, and so Horatio and his family had made plans to sail over to England uh, to be with D.L. and, and a part of his, his deal over there. And um, Horatio had some business to attend to still in Chicago, so he sent his family ahead of them uh, on a ship to England ahead of him with plans for him to catch up uh, uh, there soon after. Sadly, that family reunion in England would never happen. On November 22nd, 1873, the Villa del Havre, it's a steamship that the Horatio's family was on, it was struck by another ship where 226 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio's daughters. 11-year-old Annie, 9-year-old Maggie, five-year-old Bessie, and two-year-old Tanata. I have four kids, so it's 11 and under, so this is... Horatio's wife, she survived the tragedy, uh, and upon arriving to England, she sent a telegram back to her husband saying, saved alone, what shall I do? Of course, Horatio immediately got on a ship heading towards England, uh, where he sailed right over the very spot where he understood his daughters who have lost their lives. And it was on that journey that he penned these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And so why bad things? Why pain? Why struggle? I don't know. But I do know the pieces that we do have is that the one place that we can, we can confidently take the remains of what is unanswered in that question. In fact, the one place that we can't say, God, you don't understand this question. The one place that we can't go and say, God, you don't understand my pain is the place of the cross. We cannot go to the cross and say, God, you do not understand pain because it is in the great mystery of the gospel that God chose to give to death his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will be given this gift of a new life in him. And so Jesus Christ experienced the physical pain of the torture and the cross, as well as you could say the emotional and spiritual pain of the entire weight of all of humanity's sin upon his shoulders. And so to make sure that we would never forget the great pain and sacrifice on our behalf, Jesus instituted this memorial on the eve that he was betrayed to that sacrifice. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. This blood is my, or excuse me, this cup is my blood poured out for you. Eat this and drink this in remembrance of me, my sacrifice, my pain, on your behalf. And so to that end, you are free to participate. You don't have to be a member here uh, to do that. If Jesus Christ is your savior and he is your Lord because of what he did on the cross, then remember him as you take the bread and you take the cup. Let's pray. Father, we recognize beyond our, beyond our ability to give you thanks but in our 
best effort we do. We give you thanks that you in your great mercy, your great generosity gave your son who gave his life that we might be given the gift of a new life. That whether peace like a river or sorrows like sea billows roll, that because of your sacrifice, it is always going to be well eternally with our soul. You have taught us to say this. And so may it be in the name of Jesus, amen.